Welcome to the Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth. In this episode, I speak with Assistant Professor of Communication, Tina Medel. In our conversation, we discuss her research that looks at media studies, the U.S.-Mexico border issues, and performance. Tina, thanks so much for joining me today and, and talking about your work and what you do at UNC. Yeah, for sure. I'm happy to be here. Um, it's great to have an opportunity to talk about my research, especially I think in this moment where there's a collective exhale happening, yeah. um, many of us around um, a changed administration and some hopeful changes on the horizon. Of course, you know, there's no guarantees or silver bullets or any kind of magic spell that's going to fix what is happening at the border. But I mean, I think there is, but <laughs> that not one that's likely to be um, implemented by the current administration. But I think it, there is a collective kind of um, exhale and um, a, a hopefulness right now. Right. So if you will, if you don't mind, just uh, let our listeners know in general, uh, what you do as a professor at UNC and your your kind of field of research, uh, more generally or broadly speaking. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm in the communication department and I teach in the media studies and performance studies tracks. Um, I came up in a comparative literature program, but have always studied film and media. Those have been my primary focuses. Mm. Um, um, I came up through a um, a complete department that had an emphasis on kind of cultural studies and um, critical theory. So the communication department with my focus on media studies, um, cultural studies and critical theory was like a perfect fit for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I teach classes in media studies um, about um, race, ethnicity and um, gender and sexuality. And then also in performance studies, taking up those similar questions. Um, I, you know, last semester I taught a class on gender and film that I will be teaching regularly between women's studies and communication and visual culture class. I've taught classes on um, Latinx performance, um, U.S. third world feminism and um, its uh, film and media and kind of other courses like that. So um, really trying to kind of provide a Latinx lens and orientation within the communication department and kind of integrate those conversations within, um, you know, our unique approaches to uh, critical cultural communication. Great. Thanks for that. And coming from a, uh, you said a comparative literature background in your studies, but how did, how did you make that transition into studying film? Because I know sometimes sometimes there's literature programs that will kind of welcome that, the film studies kind of entering in. Um, I had such a professor, it was a great way to kind of study literature and film and get a little touch in like film studies. So I'm just wondering how that, how that was for you um, coming out of that comparative lit. Yeah, there was never, um, I don't think any pushback on, in my department on thinking about film as literature, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Um, As itself, you know, I think my department was always pushing the boundaries of what counts as literature, right? And really had a cultural studies orientation, but interested in using the kind of critical paradigms and 
you know, focuses on textual analysis and kind of discursivity within, you know, um, kind of broader cultural formation. So there was never kind of a question about film as a form of literature or media as yeah. a form. How does having that literary background kind of differ from someone who may be just straight up a, a, a film critic or, or mm -hmm. someone studying film? Like what, mm -hmm. what do you bring that maybe someone else that uh, just came out like a film studies doesn't have? Yeah, that's an interesting question and like a nice opportunity to kind of reflect on <laughs> like, you know, um, because what my orientation is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking just from my own experience, I'm like, well, you can apply a lot of the things that I studied through, like uh, mm -hmm. literary theory or just like, you know, understanding narratives and apply that mm -hmm. to film. But, you know, film's always different because there's all the other components aside from the, the written word. But I was just. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the major thing that um, that the literature program gave me one of the like um, the kind of gifts that I, I got from that program was both mm -hmm. um, thinking of critical theory as a set of, as a toolbox kind yeah. of, right? Yeah. As like a, a different uh, kind of um, different options and opportunities for kind of critical engagement. And then really thinking about literature and culture, right? As not as forms of kind of invention and making, right? Yeah. That, um, you know, weren't only mimetic and weren't only reflective, right? Of the world outside, but also as modes of, of theorizing themselves, right? As um, kind of offering um, their own kind of theories and interpretations, mm -hmm. right? Of how, of how the world worked and how it could work, right? Um, so there's kind of, I think like, you know, I have a, one of my pet passions is science fiction and speculative yeah. fiction. And mm -hmm. I think um, very informed by thinking of, um, you know, fiction and fictional work as a mode of kind of creative thought and kind of speculative thinking, yeah. right? kind of thinking outside what is and, in, and into what could be. Right. Um, I'm just curious, you're talking about that film course you're teaching uh, on uh, Latinx film and gender. Is that correct? And um, or, No, I think I got it wrong. I think I mixed up two things you were teaching. So let me restate Two different courses, yeah. Latinx performance and then um, gender and film. Okay. Yeah. So thinking about the course you mentioned earlier about gender and film, what are some of the films that you, you study in that course or, or show to your students? I'm just curious. No, yeah, thanks for asking. Um, I'm really excited about this course right now because it um, just, I just got the IAAR um, slate oh, yeah. fellowship for the next, for oh. next year when I'll be teaching the class. Congratulations. And, um, Thank you. Yeah, it's really exciting um, to kind of coordinate that class with the kind of broader institutional curricular um, initiative, right, yeah. on um, race and reckoning and, and memory. So um, the class, you know, I mean, I think on the surface, it might not seem like an obvious fit, but just my orientation as a critical ethnic studies scholar is to always um, take any question about race or gender as a question about race and gender, right? Mm. Those are always going to be um, questions that necessitate um, concern about the other, right? Okay. It's never yeah. 
um, they're never separate, right? Um, so in my syllabus for the gender and film course, um, you know, I integrate, um, first of all, like black feminist and Latinx feminist filmmaking um, as kind of part of the, of the, um, of the archive we're looking at, but also, um, you know, critical race approaches to, um, to gender and film, right, as um, the kind of, as some of the like major um, insights, right, that we get from kind of the long and really big expansive kind of archive of um, feminist film analysis and um, feminist filmmaking, right? So the way I shape the courses, the first half is about kind of um, feminist approaches to film, right? Like how feminists yeah thought about film and of mm -hmm. course we talk about the male gaze and we talk about yeah. representation and we discuss bell hooks and the concept of the oppositional gaze mm -hmm. and then the second half of the course is about feminist approaches to filmmaking right so okay. how are um feminists um trying to kind of shift film language and shift um modes of representation in cinema so so the class, you know, already had films by Julie Dash, um, Daughters of the Dust, and the film Out in the Night for thinking about documentary and representation. Like I'd already, the film, the class already contained all of this really great, rich um, Black feminist and Latinx feminist um, yeah. and Asian American feminist um, mm -hmm. thinking and filmmaking. And so it was just kind of about um, honing that, um, and kind of shaping the course to also um, interrogate some of the similar ideas that the Slate Initiative is trying to take up. Because um, it was already all there. It's just about kind of like bringing those conversations more to the surface. So, yeah. um, but to get to your original question, right? You asked what films we watch. Yeah, just, um, just so the first examples. half of the semester is very much like your kind of feminist or, um, you know, feminism and film your heavy hitters, right? A lot of Alfred Hitchcock and mm, yeah. some like melodrama and Douglas Sirk. And, and then at the latter half of the semester is more um, like Cheryl Dunier, the black feminist filmmaker, Julie Dash. Um, we spend a unit on like diasporic experimental cinema. So Mona Hatoum um, and Shauna Bahari and some other uh, more experimental filmmakers. But um, the class really kind of spans, you know, everything from classical Hollywood cinema to um, really experimental kind of video art, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. Yeah, that's a great too. The like the one things I've really enjoyed. I, I took a few film classes in in undergraduate my undergraduate studies. And one thing I really appreciated was, you know, you get exposed to stuff that you would never see otherwise. Um, you know, it, it, as just some a kid that goes to the movies here and there and tries to, mm -hmm. oh, well, for me at the time, it's not the case anymore, but would try to find somewhat offbeat stuff at the video store, but it wasn't, wasn't mm -hmm. that offbeat. But so, so I always really appreciated those and you, you just see some far out stuff and, and just, it kind of really shifts your perspective on 
what is a movie, what could it be? And and documentaries yeah. will do that as well, just with the subject matter or how they're made and things like that. So that's really cool. Totally. And I think like it's even more I take that like role even more serious yeah, now. Yeah. And you know, I think you know, back in the day when you would go into a video store, right? You would <sighs> see titles, you might like pause at a certain section and be like, oh, what's that interesting looking movie cover, right? Mm-hmm. But now in you know the days of algorithmic kind of audience production right yeah. the chance that you're going to come across something um that's really going to surprise you um just kind of organically is feels even like like less and less likely right yeah. um and so kind of trying to like blow students minds right with a movie <laughs> that they've never seen before or yeah. that really like challenges their ways of seeing um I take as an even more like crucial kind of calling. That's great. Um, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I, I'm always like, it always piques my interest when people are talking about like movies and film because it's, I think it's something that, I mean, I, I think it's something that people, no matter what, because some people just aren't into books or read novels even, and they just want to mm-hmm. stick with like nonfiction or they're just not big readers. But you can always catch people on on movies, and 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 That's there's something true. about it that you can mm-hmm. at least hook somebody in, at least to, mm-hmm. like you were saying, things that are literary critiques or approaches, or in your case, like feminist theory or black feminist theory. You can apply it to um, any film, and mm-hmm. then once you have that base, you know, you're watching. You know, I can't help it now. Like I'm watching yeah. these kind of big budget. Hollywood blockbusters mm-hmm. and I'm just like hmm what's going on here and I'm thinking of like and my friends are like can't you just enjoy the movie and I'm like I like it but I also don't like this yeah. this this and this <laughs> yeah exactly, right? yeah Matt says you must love this hate the cinema and love the cinema the <laughs> yeah yeah so, true. so but no. it's fun so I'd like to talk so you're you're um coming into the fall as a as a faculty fellow at the mm-hmm. IEH and first yeah. of all congratulations Thank on you. that and I'm looking forward to to working with you in in that realm uh but can you tell our listeners can you talk a little bit about your the project you're going to be working on in the fall Yeah so I'm finishing up my book manuscript called Spectral Aesthetics um Alternative Media and Visibility at the US Mexico Border um, which looks at a selection of film, photography, um, new media, and um, installation art about um, the crisis of migrant death at the U.S.-Mexico border mm-hmm. um, that has been, um, you know, at stake since the since the implementation of. Um, a policy broadly known as prevention through deterrence um, that has governed the enforcement of the U.S.-Mexico border. So this happened like way back in like the late 90s, early 2000s um, with the two major kind of um, policies, which was Operation Gatekeeper at the San Diego-Tijuana border and Operation Hold the Line um, at the El Paso um, Juarez border in Mm. Texas. So now I, you know, I just listened to Joe Biden's like immigration thing, like several press conference, like, God, I guess it was like a few months ago now. Uh-huh. Um, but he was talking about migrant death, talking about prevention through deterrence, talking about this as like a policy that needs to change. And this, for a president to talk about 
the crisis of migrant death and the prevention through deterrence policy is a huge shift um, mm. in this moment, right? Yeah. This has been kind of, um, as the scholar um, Jason de Leon puts it, kind of an invisibilized um, crisis that's been happening at the border for 20 odd years now, right? And basically the impacts of this um, prevention through deterrence policy has been to close down um, urban border crossing zones. So in Tijuana, in El Paso, Matamoros, these other yeah. bigger cities and funnel migration into these um, you know, wild open public lands um, that in these desert lands, right? right. That, yeah. um, and it's, you know, to continue to use Jason De Leon's language, right? He wrote this amazing book, um, <laughs> Land of Open Graves. He wrote a book called Land of Open Graves mm -hmm. um, about um, doing a uh, forensic anthropological investigation into migrant death in the borderlands. And in his, to use his language, um, you know, these deserts have been weaponized against um, migrants crossing the desert. So the closing down of urban crossing zones has entailed the kind of funneling of migration into these um, into these wild lands, right? And mm -hmm. um, that are inhospitable um, to, um, isn't, they're not inhospitable to life. Like, I don't want to put it like that because there is, you know, an amazing ecology of life and living that takes place um, in these deserts, but um, that's inhospitable to um, kind of casual human life, right? right. Yeah. Um, so, um, people dying of dehydration, exposure, um, you know, other forms of kinds of accidental death um, in the borderlands. And this has also opened the door in a lot of ways to the, um, to the um, narco um, kind of trafficking of human bodies right now. Right. That, and it's kind of entailed the building up of this industry, right, where it mm -hmm. might have been previously like your cousins or some other folks that your cousins knew who might get you through um, through the, in the cities. Now it entails this whole industry um, of crossing. And so my project, right, is looking at how um, filmmakers, artists, and um, performance people have addressed the crisis of migrant death um, in using kind of alternative forms of making this crisis visible. So to kind of circle back, um, you know, I contend that um, race and racial visibility, right, seeing through race is the primary way in which the US-Mexico border is configured and enforced. And that these artists are kind of mobilizing the invisibility of migrant bodies, right? Trying to make this crisis visible through modalities that um, do not emphasize the visibility of people's bodies in order to do so, right? So um, I write about one of our own UNC professors and artists, um, who works in the um, Women's Studies Department, Susan Harbage Page, um, whose project um, on the US-Mexico border, right, photographs the, the kind of traces and literal tracks of people in the land yeah. um, through the kind of like left behind objects and found objects um, and actual literal tracks left in the land. And how does this, how, and you know, my the book is overall asking the question of how these modalities of seeing, right, allow us to see the border um, migration and the kind of crisis of migrant death 
um, differently, right? And allow mm -hmm. us to see migration, especially not so much as um, this kind of, uh, you know, abject and, um, you know, kind of terrifying, you know, to you, like all the language that Donald Trump was using, right, about these kinds of hordes of um, invaders, right? Yeah, and instead yeah. see it as a kind of like social movement of life of people, you know, enacting their life, right, through the process of migratory movement. Um, the journalist Sonia Shah's new book, um, The Next Great Migration, um, is really taking a similar kind of journalistic approach to this question um, mm -hmm. and thinking yeah. about it in terms of, um, you know, the burgeoning, you know, human movements we'll see because of um, climate change and the climate crisis, um, but really trying to like reconfigure our understanding of migration um, not as a byproduct only of death, but as the kind of social um, act of life and making mm. life, right? Um, so for yeah. me, that's kind of the major insight and impact that the book is trying to make um, alongside these artists and filmmakers is really trying to reconfigure how we see and understand migration. Great. Well, thanks for that. Thanks for sharing that. I have one more question, if that's all right. What's a book that changed your life? Mm, a book that changed my life. God, there's so many. That's such a hard question. Um, I'm like, I wish I had my books here in front of me. Um, a book, I think, well, actually, you know, I was thinking about this book as I was kind of preparing for this interview. Yeah. Um, Toni Morrison's Beloved, mm, I think, mm -hmm. really impacts the generation and the critical apparatus and the way I'm thinking about spectrality and haunting um, and um, and this concept of kind of the present absence, right? Yeah. The absence has a presence. Um, and so, um, you know, the, and that, you know, impacts how I'm thinking about the kind of spectral aesthetics of these different artists, right? That in choosing invisibility, absence, disappearance, and kind of emptiness, right? Yeah. That, you know, focusing on the invisibility of migrant bodies, right? Mm. The kind of absence of migrant bodies really forces us to kind of experience the presence, um, yeah. that presence, right? Instead, um, instead of the kind of like over-determining um, legibilities, right? Of the racialized body, that that, that absence, um, through a footprint or through um, a digital performance, right? That that has, in my in my opinion, a more kind of powerful impact on um, our ability to see and understand something. That's great. So Toni Morrison's Beloved yeah. and Avery Gordon's um, Ghostly Matters, I think together are two books that changed my life. Yeah. Great, well, thanks for sharing that. Thanks so much. Thanks so much again for being on the show. It was a pleasure to talk to you and, and hear about your work. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to get to talk about the work and I'm super excited to um, be a fellow in the fall. Check back at ih.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website, as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore 
UNC.